Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have pew Bibles there that you can locate. It's the black book there in the pew in front of you. You can turn to page 1111 to find the scripture. It is Acts 26. We'll begin in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 32, which is a fancy way of saying the entire chapter. And as you're turning to it and, and making your way, uh, for those who are new and haven't been with us, we've been traveling through the book of Acts this year and, and making the journey with the early church. And now that we're here in Acts 26, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul um, go before King Agrippa and give a defense. Uh, so two years previous to his um, sitting in front of King Agrippa, he was falsely accused of uh, defaming of, of making the temple unclean by bringing a Gentile into it, among other things. And so for two years, he's been kept in custody, and he's gone before the Sanhedrin council. He's gone before Felix, who was governor of Rome. And then uh, he left his post, and then in came Festus, the new governor from Rome over Israel. And he talked to him. He he appealed to go before Caesar, and Festus said, well, before you go to Caesar, let's go to King Agrippa. And so this has been kind of a two-year journey of imprisonment for Paul on his false accusations in which he then gets to now go before King Agrippa. So let's read God's word together, beginning in 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the Goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Here ends the reading of today's word. Let us go to God in prayer. O holy God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the year 1943, in the field of social psychology, emerged a man named Abraham Maslow. And in 1943, he submits a paper to a journal in describing a hierarchy of psychological needs humans fulfill and in the order in which we fulfill them. It's come to be known in the circle of psychology and social psychology as Maslow's hierarchy. And you may have come across it at some point. It looks like a pyramid and the bottom layer is physiological needs. That every human, our psychological need is first to go and fulfill our physiological needs, shelter, food, eating, those kinds of things, clothing. And then the next layer of the hierarchy is security, making sure we're safe, that we're protected. And then as we move up the hierarchy, right after physiological and security come the needs of belonging and then esteem, esteem being, being liked, being respected, being loved. And so here he, he says that some of the foundational needs of all human beings is our desire, our need to belong and to be liked. And that the belonging and being liked are 
significant motivating factors in almost every decision we make in our lives. Now, it's the year 2019, and social media has existed for 15 years now, and, and we're not surprised really by this. We can all testify we've spent some amount of time on social media. Who spent some time on social media this last week? All of you can raise your hand because I saw you on Facebook. Because <laughs> I spent a lot of time on there too. And, and so social media, what it has allowed us to do is to find instant gratification, instant feedback on our belonging and our being liked. That we can post a picture of ourselves, of our family, that we can post a quote, a thought, an opinion, and then we spend hours and days checking back to see how many likes, hearts, retweets, and shares we might have got, gotten on said post, in which we receive the immediacy of the feedback in that moment, whether we belong, whether we need to change, whether we're being liked, whether we need to move into a different trend or fad, and it all affects the decisions we make. But as Christians, we, we have a fundamental struggle with belonging and being liked. We struggle because we know that we belong to a Christian community and that it's through Christ Jesus we do so. And, and this Christian community is great for belonging. And in fact, the number one motivating factor for someone to leave a church and go to another one is that there wasn't a sense or a feeling that they belonged or no longer belonged in that location. And, and so it, it takes a while to get there, but when they reach it, they go searching for belonging somewhere else, not, not paying any attention really to the, uh, what is preached and the doctrine that is there. As long as we can feel as if we belong, we will find ourselves landing there. But then we also, as humans, we want to be liked in all situations, whether in the Christian community or out in the world and amongst the culture. Being liked is, is something that's important to us. But Here's where the controversy comes in for us who believe in Jesus. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 10, 22. He said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. And it just makes us feel uneasy. We're really not okay with being hated. I mean, he went way past not being liked. He went way past not belonging into being hated. And he talks about, in this passage, he talks about persecution that we will face. And we have this need to belong and be liked. But we have the command and the commission from Jesus to go and share the gospel. And we know from Scripture, the examples we've seen, notably Paul, from Jesus' own words, from our cultural influence that says when gathered with friends and family or anyone of any note, the two things you don't talk about are politics and religion. And that if we do talk about our faith in Christ, that if we do share the gospel, our belonging, our being liked, is put at serious risk. And so we're at a constant decision matrix in every interaction we have in our lives. We're constantly deciding and at odds in turmoil and tension, God has called us, Jesus has commissioned us to go and tell others of the good news. But if I do, will I be ostracized? 
If I do, will I be called a fool? If I do, will I no longer get invited to the events and the parties? And so we're constantly deciding how much faith, how much gospel. If I share a little bit, is that okay? It, it's, it's what causes us to vary away from the truth found in Scripture to make exceptions for things that go on in the world and say, but if we say that, that means they may not like us. And so we're constantly in these decision matrix. It isn't a, a lack of knowledge or understanding as to why we don't share our faith. We have a pretty good sense of our testimony of how God has interacted in our lives. We can put real words to it. And, and we've read the scripture. We've heard the story. We know the good news that we were sinners and Christ went to the cross to die and shed his blood. And three days later, he rose from the dead so that our sins don't count against us. And we get eternity with the father in heaven. We understand the gospel. And we also know from Scripture that in these interactions where we are afraid we might not know what to say, that the Holy Spirit will show up and give us the words needed to say in those moments. We've seen it done over and over. But it is, in fact, the reason we don't share the gospel, that we don't share our faith as often as we are called to do so. Because deep down, we have a fear of not being liked that we would be mocked, that we would be called crazy for our beliefs. Yet, that's the exact truth. Throughout history, the world has always thought that those who are ambassadors and witnesses to Jesus Christ were crazy. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the apostles were up in their room and the Holy Spirit comes down and then they go out into the streets and begin preaching. And what is it that they receive? They receive mockery and saying, are you drunk? Immediately, they were being scoffed at. And here's Paul, two years in prison, giving his testimony, sharing his faith, explaining the gospel in his very intimate interaction with Jesus. And what happens? Festus, the governor from Rome, loudly for all to hear, mocks him, scoffs at him and says, Paul, you've gone mad. You're playing crazy. You're studying too much. Here it is, Paul living out our biggest fear that we wouldn't just be mocked in a one-on-one -on -one situation, that we would be so scoffed and mocked at that everyone within earshot would know and deem us crazy. Here's Paul. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, early on, Christian music and contemporary music hadn't begun to really be cool. It was kind of in the era of Mullets and Michael W. Smith. And, and so, but then... But then emerged this band called DC Talk, and they had this, uh, this hit out called Jesus Freak. And it had a, a hardcore, what was hardcore then? A hardcore uh, a guitar rift and some heavy drums playing with it. Um, uh, some, some great lyrics that, that bordered on singing and yelling in, in which it was called Jesus Freak, right? And so what it was is a song of encouragement for Christians during that time, and the singer goes through and he says, what will people think 
when they find out that I'm a Jesus freak. It's that, it's that fear that we still hold. I mean, this is 30 years ago. What will people think when they find out I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out that it's true? But it was a song of encouragement that, that we can't worry about what other people think. For the gospel we know is true. And see, this is where we find Paul. Paul doesn't care that Festus thinks he's crazy. He doesn't care if the whole tribunal thinks of him as some wild Jesus freak. And he appeals to Agrippa after Festus interrupts his testimony. He says, this is what the prophets of the Jewish people have said. And Moses has said. And so then he puts Agrippa in a bit of a corner in a tight space. And he goes, don't you agree with the prophets, King Agrippa? I know that you know it's true. See here, King Agrippa is the king over Israel. And, and he's a Jewish person himself. If he says yes, then his good buddy Festus and other Roman elites are going to mock him for being as crazy as Paul. If he says no, he's going to have an insurrection on his hands from the people that he governs. But Agrippa sees exactly what Paul's trying to do, and, and, and he sidesteps his question. He says, in this short amount of time, are you trying to convert me to be a Christian? Paul's answer, yes, Yes, whether it's a short time or a long time, not just you, but anyone who can hear my voice, that you would be like me, except for the chains. The stakes for Paul are at the very highest. And instead of giving the defense against the accusations that he has faced, he uses the opportunity before a governor of Rome, before the king of Israel, to make much of Jesus. And see, Paul's reality is our reality too. The opportunity to share the gospel with people is all around us. But we miss it. Sometimes because we're not looking for it and we just don't see it. Other times we miss it because we're actually afraid of sharing our faith in the gospel that we might be mocked, called crazy, deemed mad. All around us in our daily lives are the opportunities for us to make much about Jesus. And we're constantly making those decisions. Do I tell about him now? How much do I tell about my faith? How much of my testimony do I share? The truth is the world will always think those who spend their lives and time and energy making much about Jesus as foolish. We heard it in Paul's own words. He goes that you would be like me. He talks to the king doused in crowns and jewels and robes and royalty and the governor of Rome and their elite and their power and their wealth and all of their stuff. He's saying, but that you would be like me. Because you see, for those who get it, for those who understand that the belonging we so desperately need, that the love we so greatly search our lives looking for cannot ever be fulfilled by a created thing 
or a human being. We've tested it and we've tried it. Well, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. If I had more blank, you name it, I would be happy, I would be liked, I would belong. But we know that it's because of the sufficient work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection that we have been adopted, adopted as sons and daughters of the God most high, that we belong to God. And that the truth of the scripture is this, that God says there is no way he will ever leave us or forsake us. Because of Christ, we will always, always belong to God. And searching for our belonging anywhere outside of Jesus will fail us. Only in Christ can it be fulfilled. And also according to Scripture, this is good news, according to Scripture, we can never, ever, that there is nothing in all of the created world can ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus said in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But, he continues in the same verse, the one who stands, stands firm to the end will be saved. Our need for belonging and love cannot be found in those that sit around us and are outside our doors. It's only found in the one who loved us unconditionally and hung on the cross. And that's Jesus. So I implore you, go. Make much about Jesus. Be an ambassador for Christ, unashamedly a Jesus freak. Because yes, we are trying to convert you. For we know that because of Christ, we are forever loved and we will forever belong. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how awesome it is that you, in the moments we were most needy and desperate and undeserving, that you loved us the most. That you gave your son, who died a penalty we deserve, so that we might have life eternal, abundant with you, O oh God. May we live our lives not only in gratitude, but as a living sacrifice, willing to lose it all so that your glory is made known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.